Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And as you know, the year gets more and more unpredictable, as you could say. But one thing we can predict is that you can't win elections if you don't run in elections. And we need people, good quality candidates, to run in every state for every election from dog catcher, though I don't know if you can run for that, all the way up to president. And while everyone focuses on Joe Biden versus Donald Trump in 2020, there are so many important races across the country, not just in so-called swing states, not just in so-called safe states, red or blue. And today I'm excited to bring you a a new podcast from Tennessee um, with Gabby Salinas, who is running for state representative. And she is going to talk about some of the issues going on in Tennessee, um, what's motivated her to run, and hopefully when you listen... You will be encouraged to run yourself, maybe not in 2020, but in 2021, 2022, and beyond, because your involvement is so important. Uh, Gabby, uh, thank you so much for calling in today, and uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Tony, and for everything that you do um, to get the stories of candidates out there. Yeah, so you are a candidate. A question I like to ask people on this podcast is, have you always been politically minded? I, I was reading your story and you've been, you have reasons to care about things since you were a child, but have you always been paying attention to politics? Yeah, there's a phrase from, um, from kind of the fem- feminist groups and the feminist movement that, uh, the women's movement that I love to use and it's the personal is political mm-hmm. um, because I think that's true for so many of us. And having grown up in a time before the Affordable Care Act passed, I'm very much a, a product of my of my time and of my experiences. I grew up before the Affordable Care Act passed as a young pediatric cancer survivor um, that had a lot of challenges to face because of what life threw my way. But some of the hardest obstacles to overcome were the way our laws were written. Um, they were very much just stacked up against um, people like me, people that have pre-existing conditions and people that um, come from working families and aren't um, dependent on generational wealth, right? Right. So that's kind of where I got started because it seemed just so unfair to me. Um, when I got started, I kind of thought that my story was kind of an exception and I quickly found out that I wasn't the only one in, in, in this situation, that there were so many people out there that had pre-existing conditions. And even the definition of pre-existing conditions was very much rigged. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being a woman was a pre-existing condition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I found myself with a lot of people that had similar thoughts and ideas as myself. And and we set out to try to make a difference. Um, and that was, you know, when I was in college, late high school, college um, is when I started. I graduated from high school in 2007. And in 2008, Barack Obama ran on a platform uh, to reform our health care system. And I was like, I'm all about that. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was involved in lobbying and, and advocacy around the Affordable Care Act. I feel like so many people have this misconception that P- 
people's views on politics are just democrat versus republican red versus blue just like about their team winning but my mom has ms my grandparents all had challenging diseases um who knows what'll happen for me when as i get older and i have two young kids it's not just about who put those policies into place but there's real life consequences to legislation yeah and absolutely and for me you know it was very clear to me that you know just having a bill at the federal level is not enough um i remember exactly where i was when the supreme court ruling came out that said um that Medicaid expansion was going to be up to the states to decide and the governors would get to decide whether they would want to participate. Um, and I was like, oh, no, I already knew, uh, you know, I was like, we're going to be in trouble here in, in, in our state um, just from knowing and lobbying people here. And, you know, our state legislature here in, in Tennessee in 20, I think it was 2013, passed a a law, they amended a law that was being passed to say that it wouldn't be up to the governor to decide, that it would be up to the legislature to decide. And I was like, oh man, we just went from one target to having 99 targets in the House and 33 targets in in the Senate that we have to convince and get on our side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would go to these committee meetings where Medicaid expansion was on the table um, and there was at one point, the governor came out in favor of Medicaid expansion, and he called a special session to discuss um, this Ensure Tennessee plan that he had uh, come up with. And I was a very big supporter of it, and I was sitting there in a Judiciary Committee meeting, and I watched someone that's supposed to represent my county argue against the best interest of Shelby County, uh, knowing that our county commission passed a resolution in favor of Medicaid expansion, and it got a 13 to 0 vote. And the, the mayor of the county, which was a Republican at the time, was a big supporter of, of Medicaid expansion. So here we were, you know, us in the county agreeing on what needed to be done for our state, and the people that are supposed to represent us are not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, I have to run. I have to run. Um, because this is not right. It's not correct that our voices aren't being heard and we're not being represented. You know, I hear that so many times in talking with people who have run for office that it wasn't just that they felt like their ideas were better, though that's important, but they felt like their, like the popular ideas, the things that people cared about, um, weren't being heard by those in power. And it sounds like that's true in Tennessee. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of polls and Uh, studies that have been released recently and the majority of us want to see Medicaid expansion happen and it's over 60 percent right so and 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 every every cycle we have to fight to even just getting it get it discussed or getting on the table and sometimes a lot of the time it it doesn't come up for a vote um and it's unfortunate because we as Tennesseans would benefit from it greatly and it would be good for our economy um so there's so many benefits to it, but it doesn't get discussed. And so that seems to be a big problem right now with partisanship where, you know, I have, I, I'm very concerned about the impact of the Affordable Care Act with the Supreme Court case, with national politics, but 
I feel like a lot of people who oppose it, they, they can't really give a good reason why they oppose it. Is that true in Tennessee as well? Yeah. Um, and hold on one second, let me get a sip of water. Yeah, that's exactly the case. And a lot of it um, goes back to the way that it's structured. I think there's a lot of, it's a very complex bill, right? And there's many parts to it. And um, it's going to be for that expansion population. Um, are, those dollars would cover up to ninety percent of of the expenses, and we would have to make up the other ten percent, right? And that is kind of the big holdup. However, um, we have an agreement with the hospital association here in Tennessee because so many of our hospitals have closed because of. Um, having large populations of, un- of uninsured people, um, and they have agreed to um, pay that 10% through a tax that would have been set up. And even then, so I'm like, okay, we're not spending any additional funds. Um, we need to get this done, right? So that's kind of the only excuse, which has already been removed, and then there's nothing beyond that um, that they can really argue against. And it does feel like one of those things with this healthcare in particular, where Republican legislators feel more beholden to I don't know I guess they like their fringe leadership, the like talk radio, internet people more so than their voter. Like uh, Medicaid expansion passed in Missouri, it passed in by referendum, passed at Oklahoma. So this is something like you said that is usually popular by the people. And yet, politicians are out of touch with what the actual human beings want. Yeah, and, you know, for states that have been able to get it on the ballot, it it's one, right? Um, and, you know, with Missouri being the latest one. But here in Tennessee, that's not an option, which is unfortunate because we can't, there, there are we're in that situation if we can't get it on the ballot for us to even have a say or a vote in it. So we're very much dependent on the legislature doing the right thing. Um, and that's a huge, I think, um, something that's missing within our constitution here in Tennessee that doesn't have that option. I think we should have an option. If you can collect petitions and have signatures to get something on the ballot, um, it's, it's important. So it's obviously important. It feels like in a lot of states, and particularly these now conservative states, these red states, and maybe it's true in very liberal states as well on the inverse, but um, I, my last podcast that I recorded was with Ryan Arioli in South Carolina, and he said that a lot of the state legislators feel like they need to toe the conservative line because they, there's a big path of succession for them. So they're more concerned about maybe their next job or getting, like, because they could run for Congress or statewide race. And that's how you do it, by being the most right-wing, as opposed to having any local accountability. And it seems like that was a case in South Carolina sometimes. Do you think that's a case sometimes with uh, Tennessee legislators? I'm not exactly sure. I think part of it, too, is, in, in Tennessee, we are, um, there's a huge, there's a huge 
um, partisanship here. So, like, you have the areas where Republicans run and the areas where Democrats run, and then, you know, some of these areas are very gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a fear of getting primaried by someone that is on uh, the right extreme. Um, because here it's been traditional for for everyone to kind of run primaries, right? There'll be a primary in the area where the Democrats run, and then there's a primary where the Republicans run, and there's very, very few districts that are swing districts. Um, and that's not good, because it, it, it does let itself to, like, okay, I don't want to be primaried by um, this extremist right group that may come in. And, and, and they have an appeal because um, there's not a lot of people that turn out and vote in primaries, right? And they really can get their base energized from, hey, this person um, is not voting with our super conservative or extremist views, let's vote them out. And that's what I think is keeping some of these um, elected officials from, from supporting it. So turnout is often low, but it seems like nationally right now, turnout... Um, is very high. Uh, it's the people are voting now. We're recording this beginning of October, um, and you have um, you know a really high turnout in places like Virginia that have early voting uh, ballots in Pennsylvania. Uh, there are millions that have been requested. So there's a lot of enthusiasm here. Do you see as a candidate? Are you excited about the enthusiasm for voting this year, or are you worried? How do you feel about how voters are feeling? Yeah, I think for me, turnout is is a big worry. Um, we we've always done really well in terms of exciting voters to come out. Um, however, the bar is kind of low for for that. Right, Tennessee ranks like forty ninth in voter participation, wow. and we as like Americans, period, uh, rank pretty low. Uh, if you look at it globally, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I read a statistic. There was like over 100 million people in the U.S. that are eligible to vote will not vote this election. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so many people. Right. Um, and we here in Tennessee are even lower. And, you know, part of it is that dynamic that I was telling you, that, you know, these decisions are decided in primaries and there's really no no competitive generals. Um but yeah, I, I, I worry about it, but we've been able to turn out, when I ran in 2018, we turned out 35,000 people that had never voted in an off-year election. And this year, when I had my primary, my goal was to double participation, and we got halfway there. So I think you need candidates that are willing to put effort in and money and resources into reaching voters and doing voter education, um, that's very important because often politicians get in, especially traditional politicians, get into this like vicious cycle of, we don't reach out to voters because they don't vote. And I'm like, well, they don't vote because you don't reach out to them. Mm-hmm. So someone has to come along in, in all of that that breaks that cycle and says, hey, I'm going to reach out to voters um, to people that are registered to vote that don't usually vote, and I'm going to give them a reason to come out and vote. Um, and that's very important. And I think that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing candidates that come kind of from non-traditional backgrounds that are like, hey, we need to reach out to, to people, you know, when we've seen it from the national level all the way down um, to the local level. Bernie Sanders, for example, got a lot of people engaged. Andrew Yang 
he brought a whole new electorate that um, we hadn't seen before turn out and be involved in primaries. Um, there's just a lot of examples going going on in our in our national scene and in our local scene of people that are saying, hey, this is why you should care and this is why you need to vote and your vote matters and it makes a difference. You know, I, I've noticed that, especially since just the debate the other day where um, people who didn't vote for Joe Biden in the primary um, were saying, you know, the president had was saying, oh, you just lost the left, you lost this group, and all these people said, well, I'm not for, I, I may have supported Sanders or Yang, but I'm voting for Joe Biden, definitely. Um, do you feel like when you have these new voices, like new backgrounds or new ideas in primaries, or just people running, that it keeps people engaged, and they don't just come in for a minute, that, that they're staying engaged and involved in the process because they, they learn how important it is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've seen a lot of these candidates go on to do other important work, right? So, like, Beto O'Rourke and what he has done in Texas and making Texas a competitive state, really. Um, and now he's just dedicating a lot of his time to these down-ballot races and making sure that his coalition stays engaged. Uh, Stacey Abrams on working on voter suppression and voter turnout and education and all of that. Um, she's stayed engaged and continued to have her coalition of people engaged. Um, even here at the local level, uh, you know, we have people that um, have supported other candidates and have continued to stay engaged and say, hey, this is um, this is important and our issues are important. And that that is the mindset that we need to have um, because it's not about a person. You know, for me, this is not about just becoming an elected official. It's about the issues. And we really need to have... Uh, laser focus on that and advancing our issues and it's it should never be about a candidate um or a person it's definitely a movement um towards advancing what, what we are all fighting for yeah i think that's so important and one of the things i've also realized from talking to some folks is you know i've been involved in politics for 20 years now and it makes me feel old but <laughs> i i know a lot of people who have um run for office a lot of democrats who ran for office and they're like well i am tony heil i am just running as myself i'm not doing anything with anyone else um so i don't care what you do but it feels like this year and including 2018 i think it feels like there's much more of a team effort amongst democrats this year where people are rooting on each other and supporting each other do you feel that in tennessee too where it feels less lonely and more of a team effort than it may have otherwise been yeah yeah, and, and I think you're right in saying that it started in, in 2018 was kind of the first year that I noticed it as well, um, of, of having this coordinated effort to get our, our voice out, um, and it benefits everyone uh, that's on the ballot, and really the community too. So we, we were definitely seeing that collaboration happen again. And one of the things that you collaborate on, which is one of the reasons I was excited to reach out to you, is that you have worked in science, um, you have worked in uh, research and therapeutics and different things like that. Um, what about that knowledge 
are you hoping to bring to politics? And, you know, do you think that your background, that that, that medical background, that science background is represented enough in politics as well? Yeah, I think we we don't have enough scientists in, in political office. Mm-hmm. And I really do. I, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's because of the way our, our um, the way academia is set up. It's very hard and very competitive. So there's a laser focus on, on, on making sure you're, you're fighting for grant money and uh, you're getting your research funded. However, I think because there's that laser focus on that, we forget to kind of back out and look at and like, who funds your research? It's government, right? Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's NIH, NSF, um, CDC, a lot of that, the research that goes along, that happens in our in our country is funded by the American people and by our government. So why wouldn't we uh, be a part of the process, right? Instead of um, fighting each other for, for the um, small funding that is out there. Um, so... I, I, I really want to see more more scientists and I'm part of a, a group of, of scientists that have jumped into running for office and been endorsed by 314 mm-hmm. in 2015 and, and this year as well and you know there's Mark Kelly out there uh, and you know there's a handful of scientists that have said hey um, we need to get in this because we have something to offer um, that's being overlooked and I think that's making you know decisions that are evidence-based letting the science guide how we navigate uh things like a pandemic Mm -hmm. Uh, i come from i i have really interesting background because i i come from infectious disease background i work in malaria and i also have a background of drug discovery so kind of doing what pharmaceutical companies do but doing it in an academic setting not in a in an industry setting so it is a little bit different but i think it's equally exciting and and you get to do a lot of cool things and so bringing that side of it to to legislative bodies um i think is is a wonderful opportunities and i would i want to be able to model to other scientists that this is a, a a career option right that you can go down this path and be successful and, and contribute. Um, and so that's one thing that I hope to accomplish by being being there, because we don't only need one scientist, we need a couple of, uh, to be able to have different backgrounds in science. You write, you know, science is very broad. There's a lot of uh, different fields. So I, I hope that by me being there shows to them that, hey, um, this is a career that I, a path that I could take. And to me, that's what's so exciting about being in, in academia and being in science is that you can do so much, right? You can teach, you can do research, you can work on in policy. There's so many, so many um, awesome things that you can do with a science degree. And being an elected official is one of those things. So not only could they run for office, but they should. I, I know science and healthcare workers which are not necessarily the same thing, are, are very underrepresented. We have a lot of lawyers who are in office, Democrats, Republicans, whatnot, or, or people who are real estate, people who have the jobs that give them the luxury of time to be in office and run for office. Do you think that that is a big hindrance to people um, 
just that certain jobs give them the time to do the things to run for office and be in office and other jobs like being in academia even um just create a lot of challenges to take the time to fundraise to door knock to do events to be in office yeah it it definitely comes with its own unique challenges that you have to consider um but i do think that it's not unique to science i think it's unique to working people right if you are someone that has like a political family that is part of a dynasty it's going to be easier for you because there's name recognition involved with it if you have if you come um from a family that has had a lot of generational wealth passed so if you have those backgrounds it's going to be easier than if you're a working family but you have it's it's just harder to access right mm-hmm. <clears throat> harder to fundraise um, it's harder to, if you have a family, it's harder to have that time. Um, I had a friend that she was a teacher. We need more teachers in government. However, she was like, I can only campaign after three o'clock because I'm teaching. I can't really even pick up the phone. Right. Anything when, when it's school hours. Um, and it's hard to take time off if you, if you're a working person, um, but it's not impossible, right? And that's the other thing that I want to prove and show to people that, that it's not impossible. And for me, <clears throat> I was very transparent with my committee, so I'm finishing out my PhD right now. Um, and I said, hey, this is something I want to do. And they have been very, very um, interested in, in, in like, hey, we've never had a student do that. Uh, and they've been very supportive. So I'm very, very lucky to have um, the flexibility um, to be able to have that as an option. And I know it's not the case. And, and this is something that you can plan for, right? If you are going in that career path, uh, when I was looking into programs and mentors and all of that, I spent a lot of time saying, hey, this is something I, I'm considering doing um, soon. Um, would you be supportive of giving me time off to pursue that if I need it? And um, I think having that transparency is, is important because if if they're if they say no, then you know that that's not the place for you. Um, the other thing that I think is a challenge for scientists is that we move around a lot for our training. Um, so where you go to undergrad is probably different than where you go to graduate school. And then where you do your postdoc or get get your first associate professor uh, mm-hmm. job, a lot of the time you're moving across the country for those positions. And there's very few areas in the country, for example, that do uh, drug discovery um, in, in the academic setting. Um, so I've had to compromise on that. When I was looking into graduate programs, I was like, okay, so where am I going to end up in how is this going to impact uh, what I want to be doing? Um, I think it's important to not only think of um, the type of degree and the type of environment you want to work in, it's what you want to be doing after that's over because there is going to be an end point to that. Um, so because I wanted to be running for office, I chose 
to stay in Memphis and, and, and start my graduate degree here. Um, so, and you know, life throws things at you and things change, but, um, those are things you can keep in mind while you're kind of setting up how you're going to navigate, uh, either your work or schooling or family, all of that. Yeah. And I imagine that while you as an elected person can promote science and health issues with your background, if people see people like you run Mm -hmm. and win, they can feel like they can do that as well. So it's going to hopefully enhance, entice other people to do it. So with that in mind, um, you know, you're working especially on um, health care and you want to bring, you know, science-based approach to other issues as well. Um, if you get elected, what do you, um, how do you hope to govern? Like, what do you think you can do to be successful? Yeah, it's going to be challenging, obviously, because we have... Um, this big divide between uh, Republicans and Democrats everywhere, not only in my state, but everywhere. Um, so I, I, I'm very hopeful. I'm an optimist, and I know that this election season is going to be very important and that it's going to shake things up. Um, and um, I think having a scientific approach, putting the evidence out there is important to being able to build consensus and we need people that um, are evidence-based people regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum if we say we have um, x amount of uninsured people and this is how we could take care of them and bringing those federal funds home uh, we should all be able to look at the data and say hey yeah we agree on this um, for example with education when we look at um the data on pre-K and how much of a difference that makes even I mean you can see the impact even into the college years of these kids um, we can say hey maybe that this is something where we need to invest um, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum um, I think we need to be able to have leaders that look at the evidence and put um, partisanship aside and let the evidence guide what what we need to be doing and where we need to invest resources that's important so i hope to bring that to the table of um communicating the the data that's out there and how we can work together to to accomplish it and make make a difference for for all of our communities right i will be representing district 97 and that's my priority but the stuff that we pass at the state level impacts our state, our entire state, regardless of whether I represent that district or not, the laws that we pass will have an impact on on those communities. So bringing the data and say, hey, this is how it will benefit um, my district, but this district in East Tennessee is dealing with some of the similar issues, and here's the data, and this is how you can get a benefit from what we're proposing, right? Um, so th- I think being able to communicate all of that is, is important, and I think it can bring us together and really build common ground. One of the things that I pride myself is in, you know, having supporters from all over the political spectrum um, because we, we agree on, on the evidence and we agree on, on how we can address some of this stuff um, because we've let, the gu- uh, we've let the evidence guide what, what we want to be doing. And I imagine, you know, if you're in office, not you, but if someone's in office, they have a committee 
And sometimes someone will come and testify in that committee who's an expert, but they might not always allow the good experts to come. And if you have that kind of background, then every time that the committee meets, there is an expert already on that committee. And that's something that people may not notice until it happens. Yeah, one of the examples from the campaign trail that I can share is when hydroxychloroquine was all over the news, right? Uh, hydroxychloroquine is used in lupus, but it's also chloroquine started out as a as a malaria drug. Right? right. So I was able to be like, hey, I'm the only one here having this conversation that has actually worked with hydroxychloroquine. And here's how it works. Here's how we judge whether a drug works for that disease or not. And this is why this doesn't work, right? Um, and having that expertise and, and really coming from a place of authority on, on the matter is important because people were like, hey, yeah, you're, you're, yeah what you're saying makes sense. Um, and it, it gives me an opportunity to really exercise um, that part of my brain that communicates hard science in a way that is digestible to everybody. In my opinion, science is for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes, scientists, we get in this little um, headspace of only talking to experts in our field and not even talking to experts outside of our field and communicating our science and, and, and really talking at this level of being really uh, above people's heads. And to me, that's not um, yeah, that's important when you're talking about how you're going to proceed in, in a project and getting peer-reviewed by your peers. But when it comes to actually getting work done on the ground, it's much more important to be able to not dumb down your science but still communicate what it's about. Yeah, I I have done work. I, I am involved in ALS issues, and there were years ago, People were talking about lithium being a treatment for it because it was online. And no, there was not like a scientific background to that and backing to that. And so people, it's a drug that works for other things, doesn't work for this disease. Um, My mom has MS and there could be treatments that work for Parkinson's that would be detrimental to someone with MS. It's not, once you look into it for more than a minute, it's not that hard to understand. Uh, And yet when they push drug treatments like that then if people are taking hydroxychloroquine then there's not more there's not enough of that drug for the people who need it even so it's got all sorts of unintended consequences that could be harmful to others both taking the medication that's wrong or keeping others from being able to access it yep yeah absolutely so you are in the midst of the campaign. It's October. It's a challenging campaign because, you know, you have the pandemic going on. It obviously changes how you campaign. But if people are listening, it's called the You Should Run podcast. Um, why would you encourage other people to consider running for office as well? Yeah, we need diverse backgrounds in our elected officials. And I think that if, if our legislatures looked more like our country we would go a long way to uh, making meaningful legislation and passing meaningful legislation that really makes a difference and shifts uh, how our country works and has those like uh, institutional changes that we need 
uh, and that we're 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 desperate lack we're desperately lacking right now. Um, so I think everyone has something to offer, and you should definitely not rule politics and running for office as a option um, to, because it's somewhere where you can make and have an impact in the world around you. And you know it's hard. There there are times where you have tough days and. And people will say mean things about you and, and, and it's tough, but it's worthwhile because you meet some of the most amazing people and you get to interact with people in your community and talk to people you have never met before and, and really have conversations uh, that spark um, ideas, conversations that make it all worthwhile. Um, so it's definitely a... Um, a a thing that's worth pursuing well great i i agree it's a thing worth pursuing and i'm glad that you're pursuing it it's very important if anyone is listening and wants to follow your campaign where should they go to learn more especially in these last few weeks before the election so we are on all platform media um on social media um and it's just Gabby Salinas, and then our website is voteforgabby.com. People can sign up to volunteer. We have volunteers from everywhere. I think that's one one cool thing about technology is that uh, people are able to volunteer even if they don't live in the district or live in Tennessee. And um, you can donate there as well. Every single dollar makes a difference. Um, and I'm that's not just a talking point. It, I really do mean it. Um, for we have an automatic dialer and. Uh, to get a call through is five cents. So with a dollar, we can do a lot. Um, so uh, if, if people are in a position to give and chip in, we would really, really appreciate it. And um, that those links can are on my website, which is voteforgabby.com. Great. And it is important to support local uh, state elections and local elections. Um, the Joe Biden has raised about a billion dollars, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. And it's great people want to donate to him, but these local races need the money more than he does at this point, and really at all points. So uh, support local and follow Gabby. Uh, she is doing a lot of great work, and it was really the kind of candidates that we need to, you know, focus on throughout, you know, our whole entire government. That's what we need. So. Again, thank you, Gabby. Uh, go to voteforgabby.com and learn more about Gabby Salinas, and, and best of luck in Tennessee. Thank you. Yeah. Lord, it's obvious we got a relationship talking to each other every